0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos. On today's episode, we continue our long-running series of the Chicago Sports Movie Podcast series, and today, we begin with an absolute classic from the year 1984. On the way to a tryout with the Chicago Cubs, young baseball phenom Roy Hobbs is shot by the unstable Harriet Byrd. After 16 years, Hobbs returns to pro baseball as a rookie for the last place New York Knights. Despite early arguments with his manager, Pop Fisher, Hobbs becomes one of the best players in the league and the Knights start winning. But this upsets the judge, their owner, who wants Hobbs to lose games, not win games. It is the movie, The Natural. We're here to talk about it today and I have a wonderful panel joining me with you today. First off,
1: he's a busher.
0: He's a greenhorn, he's a rum pop, but the ladies call him the Savory Special. It's Paige Smith. Oh,
1: savory. Oh, it's all that salt in my diet, my friend. How's it going?
0: It's what it, you boned the bat is
1: what you did. <laughs> that was the trick all along. Uh, when, this gentleman,
0: when this gentleman here plays laser tag, he walks right up to the 13-year-old he's about to play against, goes nose to nose, and says... I'm going to break every record in the book. It's Dan Sanders-Joyce. Hello, Dan. What's
2: up, guys? Uh, grew, grew my Wilf, uh, Brimley mustache just for this. It, it's, it's working.
0: It's totally on right now. And finally, joining us to round out the pod, it's taken him 35 years to get here, but he promised me and Pop Fisher that if he got in, quote, if you pod me, you'll get the best I got. From the Emmy Award-winning series, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Joel Johnstone. Hello, Joel.
3: Uh, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you so much for joining. I am joined. No one can see it. He's got a Brewer's hat on. Paige has got a Chicago Whales hat. We got a sweetness, Walter sweetness going on. And I have a little, I got a little buffet of Chicago sports heroes on my tank top. Let's talk about the movie, the 1984 film, The Natural. A movie that I hadn't seen in quite a while. A movie that I think we were all indoctrinated, indoctrinated with as kids. But, you know, a movie that growing up, I kind of felt it was maybe slow, maybe boring, more so ruminative an adult film. And going back and watching it now, there is tons of shit going on right now. So, if you don't mind, real quick, we're just going to go around. Maybe we could start with you, Joel. How did you meet the movie? When did you first see it? And kind of, what is
3: your relationship with the movie now? My dad, uh, my dad, my dad played it for me on VHS that he recorded off TV um, because he didn't want me to see the copy. For- library because it shows uh you could see like the top of the rear side of Kim Basinger um <laughs> <laughs> which I grew up to appreciate but when I was 9 and I watched it I don't know that I would have cared uh, and no I would have cared but um but he didn't want me to see that so I I really don't know why this movie is rated PG-13 like it's other than that it seems PG like my dad was like there's some risque parts this and there's a little bit of swearing but like I don't know he he I think I was when it came out, and I was nine when I first saw it. And I, I, I remember being bored by the whole. Um, what's her name? What's Kim Basinger's role?
0: Uh, Memo. Memo. Paris. Memo. Is her name. Memo. Yeah. yeah. From,
3: so from her, from her introduction until when we see Glenn Close again, I remember being really bored because it gets adult and he loses his swagger and you know everything. Um, but I like every other part of the movie. I was baseball was my life growing up. I am still holding out hope. Um, I'm a middle-aged man, but there's still hope that somebody will call. The phone might ring. I'm just biding my time with the acting thing, but I slept with a baseball glove. I played little league nonstop. I, you know, even when it was snowing, I would beg my dad to go out, hit fly balls to me that baseball was my life. So the natural was just, um, it was part of family growing up, and I still to this day every March or April, right around the start of baseball, I will watch it again i it's one of I think it's one of the most watchable movies, and it doesn't get old um the the writing the I think the acting is i it might be the best acted sports movie I'm going to put Hoosiers in that same category as well, but I, you know what no, I actually think this is better just because the ensemble is rounded out so much more um Uh, You know, the the Wilford Brimley and um, what's what's the guy's name, his bench coach's name? Oh, Red Farnsworth. Uh, Richard Farnsworth. Yeah, yeah, Richard 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 Farnsworth. Farnsworth. How great is Richard Farnsworth? Yes. Well, that's what
0: just keeps happening is they start kind of rolling out the ensemble a little bit and it just sort of gets deeper and deeper, deeper as the story goes along. I want to ask Paige, Paige, how did you meet the movie? What is your relationship with it now?
1: Well, yeah, I, I, you know, kind of on the same line of what you guys have been talking about. Uh, I was, I, when I was a kid and this came out, I remember it being a big deal in the theaters. Uh, I did not see it in the theater Uh, at the time. I was, you know, this was the time of, for kids, my age, I'm a little older than you guys, but pretty close. This was the time of Harrison Ford and star Wars movies and Indiana Jones movies. And, you know, Redford was sort of the star for the the generation just above me you know he was sort of coming out of the 70s and he was in his 40s and was kind of making more uh i don't want to say adult movies because that sounds like pornography but you know movies set more for for people with a little more um movies with adult themes maturity (laughs) you know and and the whole the whole i saw it on video i think on the next round you know and i and i i feel like the uh you know, the, the mythology sort of, you know, mystic part of this movie was totally lost on me when I was a kid. You know, I, I didn't, it, it didn't make any sense to me until, I, again, I got a little older, and then those things started to connect. And you're like, oh, there's a lot more going on here than just, you know, a guy who's old and trying to play baseball. And once that, you know, once I got a little older and more mature, uh, yeah, then, uh, boy, I, then it blew me away. You know, it's, it's one of those you kind of have to grow into it movies and uh once i did I, again I, I i have it on uh you remember these things i have it on dvd in my place. yeah wow D- uh, yeah. DVD? yeah 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 i can watch it on streaming i can watch it on dvd if the internet's out i mean you can see it anytime
0: you have this thing where you can go to language options it's incredible <laughs> yeah. there's just yeah. so many there's just so many things about it <laughs> <The> internet- <laughs> And that's the funny thing about uh, that's the funny thing about the film too is I'm, I'm sort of f- feeling the same way. Where as a kid, you definitely remember these really super high moments. Of, obviously, we're gonna get into all the legendary things that Roy Hobbs does in this movie. But again, maybe the parts that don't connect are the parts where it kind of like goes through what it's like to make a mistake in life. Uh, something that kids really right. don't really understand quick. Like until right. the, actually, you know, you get into the mud a little bit of your life, the late twenties, early thirties. Dan, how did you meet the movie? Um what's your relationship with the movie now?
2: Yeah, um I, I, like all you guys I don't I did not see this in the theaters. Uh I was one when this movie came out. Um uh I definitely saw it later also with my dad on VHS. Uh this is <laughs> this is another return to a blockbuster on a Friday night. Uh my dad steering me going this is what we're going to watch. Uh this is this is one of the two that we're going to get. And much like the rest of you guys, this movie was Boring as fuck for me when I was uh, when I was a kid. Uh, I, I remember a couple of things. One, obviously knocking the ball out of the stuffing for sure. That's that stuck with me as a kid. And then the thing that has always stuck with me my entire life was the chubby bat boy uh, in the dugout blowing his hat up off of his head. Uh, because for the life of me, I could not figure out how that chubby little rat bastard did that, and I tried my entire career as a little league baseball player to blow my fucking hat off of my head by putting my thumb in my mouth, and I like I thought that he put it up over his ears, and the air came out of it. It was a fiasco. However, I have watched this movie a few times in my adult life, and this movie is. Fucking incredible! This movie has so much to unpack. It goes from uh, from a a uh, movie on its face about a, a a guy who won't give up on his dream to actual like parallels to the Iliad and the Odyssey uh, and Homer. I mean, she brings it up. Harriet Bird brings it up in the beginning with "Have you ever read Homer?" But my god, does it just take off on this on this epic journey through mythology and 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 everything that really incredible
0: yeah and for you growing up the mythology uh piece was the chubby bat boy where did he come from and how did he do it uh for me (laughs) for me growing up yeah a lot of the same sentiments right like if i remember correctly when you go to blockbuster and you rent it the cover is just robert redford wearing the the indiana jones brimmed hat there's not even baseball on the cover so you're asking yourself right away all right what a natural what what are we doing here but the other one is, for me, I got exposed to it through VHS. Um, I'd hang out at a buddy's place. Uh, my buddy, Eric Sloan, who's a cop now, shout out to Eric Sloan, uh, doing all the different, You broke all the records in junior high and elementary school for running track, all this stuff. So his dad would only rent sports movies, but he would only rent PG sports movies. So it was like this rotation of uh, LaFontaine, Moogers, <laughs> Pele, uh, and The Natural got in there. And then obviously, obviously, like, from there, you know, there's so many, I don't want to say tropes, but iconic moments that get borrowed from this film. Like, I'm watching this film also, and I'm like, God, the movie, the Fairly Brothers movie, Kingpin, like, basically rips this entire movie off. From, like, the opening scene to, like, all this different kinds of, all this different kinds of stuff that's going on, like, the Odyssey and all that, uh, everything. And I so know. I was kind of exposed to it. And then coming back to it now, like, this movie is, uh, is dark. It is, it has a lot of really interesting, you know, it does all this fun little game where we don't really know what happens to him in that 16 years, but that's kind of what he continues to propel everyone's either interest in him or what is either propelling him as a character. So I kind of want to dive right into some of the opening parts and let's go right to that really famous part where, you know, his father uh, is playing catch with him in the fields. He unfortunately suffers a heart attack under the tree that night under the very same, that very same night uh, underneath the tree gets hit by lightning and he creates Wonder Boy the Bat. Now I'm not going to ask you guys the question of what did you fashion uh, as a child out of something that you found in your backyard, because we all know that we did that all the time, but uh, it kind of begins this concept of superstition and jinxes, a theme and thread line that continues to run throughout the film. And Maybe not necessarily sports, but I mean, I'm just kind of interested to hear. Paige, maybe we can go first with you. Um, Are you superstitious? Did you ever have anything as a kid or do you have anything now that you sort of, you know, adhere to beyond maybe like, you know, the broken glass underneath the ladder situation?
1: Yeah. I, you know what I, growing up, I always wish I had a lucky charm and I never did. You know what I mean? I would always, I'd have something and be like, this is my lucky charm and then something shitty would happen. And I'd be like, no, it's not, no, it's not. So, <laughs> so unfortunately I, I, never actually had anything like in my pocket that, that symbolized, you know, my, uh, my optimism, but uh, I, I do, I do adhere to jinxes and not wanting to, you know, if something's going well. I, I do try to keep my mouth shut and not, and not, you know, put some kind of universal kibosh on anything good, you know? So I I definitely say in that regard, I I am one to, um, to, you know, sort of, even though maybe I don't, I'm not the most spiritual person out there. I do actually like feel like, you know, there is a certain, certain karmic energy to the world. And, you know, if you, if you, uh, if you, if you rock the boat, then it's going to come back to haunt you. And I, and I, so yeah, yeah, yeah. As far as, Superstition goes. I, I'm totally on board with that. Did I answer your question? Was there You anything-
0: did. I mean, I, I'm I'm res- resonating with that because I'm a Midwest boy. You know what I mean? Don't yeah. get horse in the mouth. But when right. the wind's blow in your direction. Uh, you know, go, go that way. Right. Absolutely. Um, uh, Joel, you talked briefly, uh, you know, you, you had a glove that you slept with every single night. I mean, did you have any, uh, superstitions? Did you believe in good luck, bad luck and all that stuff like that growing up? Or do you
3: have any superstitions now? Oh yeah, of, of course. Yes. I grew up in a Catholic family. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, guilt, guilt, guilt and, uh, <laughs> guilt and good luck. Um, guilt and repeat. <laughs> yes. Repeat, I repent. don't have something that I do every time, but for instance, I'm a huge Packers fan, and if they lose, I will not wear whatever shirt or jersey I was wearing while watching two thousand miles away on my couch the next week. I will not do it. Um, same for playoff games. You know, in in in, um, in the postseason, um, if the Yankees or Brewers are playing, I I will I will pay attention to which hat I'm wearing. What you know, if they win, go straight on the next night. If the yeah. Packers win, jersey goes straight on the next week. But don't wash it. Don't wash it. And I'm dead serious about that. I am um, a firm believer that what I wear absolutely 100% affects my team's victory or not. If they lose, it's not my fault. Something got in the way. I will tell you as a uh, I'll tell you as a Bears fan that I don't even bother
0: anymore because I like the stuff that I buy. You know what I mean? Like I got this beautiful Khalil Mack jersey. And with Trubisky on the team, it's just like, screw it, man. Like, what I if I'm, I'm gonna wear this, I'm not gonna like curse this thing. I'm gonna keep this this shirt jersey at least pure and then at least hopefully find it. Cause it's hard to get winning streaks together or feel like I any, mean, you know, I'm I'm building momentum superstitiously.
3: As a side note, can I just say my favorite thing on Twitter this week that I read it was I think it was a Bears fan tweeted out after Mahomes signed that record breaking <laughs> sports deal of all time. And he said, Hey, bright side. Bears fans we just saved at least 400 million dollars we did we did
2: (laughs) sure did did. it was a wise move from the start we're gonna get
3: get new
0: gutters we're gonna redo the roof uh we're gonna finally finish the basement rec we just
2: saved all that money yeah
0: exactly Dan um superstitions growing up uh do you have any superstitions now good luck bad luck all that stuff how do you feel
2: Well, listen, I'm not superstitious, but I am a tad-stitious. Steal that one straight (laughs) from my Scott. Uh, No, uh, actually very superstitious, um, very much in line with Joel. Uh, Like, I I like, what's the combination of clothes that will get my team to win every week? Like, do I throw on? the sweetness shirt underneath the butkus jersey what does it what does it look like with the dick jersey like what hat am i wearing oh
0: let me interject real quick do you have a do you have a
3: callback shirt
2: uh you're like I've,
3: when you get a callback you're like this shirt oh yeah oh yeah absolutely butkus goes underneath anything and, and buckets goes underneath everything
2: <laughs> um but so so I, and i've always been very superstitious i remember guys i was a terrible soccer player. I mean, just awful. But I loved playing. I loved hanging out with those dudes. Uh, So I played all through high school. And one time I got in and scored a goal. And I uh, looked down and realized that my right foot sock was inside out. Um, So for the next decade, my right foot sock was always inside out because I figured that's what did it. That's what got me the, that's what got me there. So. And it was, and it was definitely that, uh, because for the next decade I had the best luck of all, uh, nothing went wrong. So yeah, I definitely, uh, I'm, I'm a pretty superstitious guy. I, uh, even down to the morning routine of, of what happened that day. If if the bears win or, or if the Cubs are on a streak, like, what have I been doing that, that week? Because obviously it's, the, it's the, the agenda that I have and it's the calendar that I have that's helping my teams win.
0: And it's a fun thing to kind of consider of is Wonder Boy the Bat actually good luck? Uh, uh, well, I mean,
2: he's here's, a, my, here's my question about Wonder Boy. Is it the impetus for the Tenacious D song? Wonder Boy. <laughs> <laughs> it might That's it a might great be
0: song it might be the seeds good drop there the
2: secrets of your powers
0: <laughs>
3: because uh, oh well, please joe go ahead no 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 i i i interesting tidbit i have seen this movie no less than 68 times and i watched it again last night and i picked up on something the opening shot of redford on the bench on the chair at the train station about to head to new york doesn't have wonder boy with him
2: doesn't have wonder boy it's true where yeah, the fuck is it
3: <laughs> because it's there when he's walking through the tunnel to go meet pop it's there with him the whole
0: movie i mean it's a, it's a huge like every single scene that happens in the locker room he's always either putting it back in the case gingerly or sliding it back into the locker room that's a great point and and for him it's kind of this idea of his good luck charm he can't hit or can't play baseball without it but i tell you you know his father passes away not great right after that he makes the wonder boy and then immediately Gets the call that Joel, every little boy wants to hear, come play for the Cubs. That's right. uh, middle-aged man at this point. Middle-aged, <laughs> middle-aged man is still waiting. Yeah, middle-aged man <laughs> is still waiting for the call. So he gets the call to trial for the Cubs. Gets on the train. Really interesting scene. You get the introduction of uh, Robert Duvall as Mercy. You get a wonderful scene with Whambold, the Whammer, who loves to give it up to the general public. And, you know, maybe I would love to drop this at a party sometime. Well, maybe sometime you've, he- you've heard of my eight no-hitters. Uh, maybe you've actually ever heard of that before. And that sort of just brings us into Barbara Hershey. And I hmm. got a lot of thoughts, guys, on on, on the Hershey. And maybe we can kind of open it like this, and I want to hear all of your guys' thoughts and opinions. Maybe, Dan, you can go first. What happens to Roy Hobbs in this first few moments with Barbara Hershey? Is she one of the worst sports villains of all time?
2: Yeah, I mean, she's, um, she's Medusa, right? She's, she's like, well, I, I'm, my, my Greek tragedies aren't the best these days. It's been a few years since I've read the Iliad and the Odyssey. But she's, uh, she is the Medusa character, right? Like she siren songs him in.
0: Yeah. So real quick, I I looked it up, and in theory, what they're saying is Hobbes is Odysseus, Max Mercy is Vulcan, the god of fire. Pop Fisher is Zeus, king of the gods. The judge is Hades. Memo is Calypso. She is Medusa. Yeah. um, And uh, Iris is Penelope, the wife that he leaves, and yeah. then eventually comes back yeah. around to. Yeah. So yeah, in the in the in the Odyssey, the theory of this. But my but my question really is. You know, the thing that I forget about it is she's obviously in only very few scenes in the movie, and it's just in the beginning part, but re-watching this movie, she haunts the movie the entire time. Or I've seen this movie, like you, Joel, maybe 68 times, but I still kind of think, is she going to come back? Or are they going to have to deal with her? Like the twenty, the twenty-first century version of this movie, she comes back, right? She well, comes lurching out of the lake. Go ahead, Dan. She's not gone. She's not gone.
3: No way. No way at all. She's Go at the end when he's playing fetch with his son in the field. I'm waiting for her to come up and just <laughs> pop and rise up
0: again. like a T one thousand
2: through the wheat fields and just bang. But yeah. she, she she the thing that was interesting to me about her is she takes out the ambition right like she waits until he says i'm gonna be the best there ever was and then she goes well gotta kill you <laughs> you're gonna be the best there ever was <laughs> bye yeah. hop in page well she's yeah. also this sort
1: of symbol of like the destruction of purity right i mean he was before that he was this chaste guy you know he was just living for baseball and he was he did the right thing, and then after, and then, and then she is a symbol of like you know, sort of taking the true, uh, meaningful, good, good-hearted spirit out of him, you know, and turning him to the dark side, right? Well, it,
0: it's a, it's something that kind of terrifies me personally. Is someone that literally seeks out those that are rising to the pinnacle of their capabilities, because you hear the little aside of the football player and the Olympian get shot, and she's literally seeking out the best of the best to cut them down in their prime like that's absolutely terrifying for me and honestly I kind of did a little research real quick I'm going to rattle off a bunch of sports villains maybe you could say that a couple are a little bit uh higher up than this one but we, I've got Drago and Rocky Four, Johnny and the and the Sensei Crease in the Karate Kid movies the Monstars in Space Jam Rachel Phelps in Major League Rudy's suck-ass family that hates fucking dreams, um, <laughs> Coach, Kil- Coach Kilmer and Varsity Blues, Wolf Stanson in D2, uh, Shooter McGavin, Happy Gilmore, Chang Lee in Bloodsport, The Beast in Sandlot, Ernie McCracken and Kingpin, Judge Smales in Caddyshack. This one was kind of weird, but Sports Illustrated put it on their list. Cancer in Brian's Song, very tough one, very tough villain. And then the one that I only think that might compete with Barbara Hershey is Robert De Niro in The Fan. Uh, because he's completely out there. And Joel, as as a villain in this movie, obviously you've got the judge. That's the obvious one, but the pall that this character casts upon the movie is 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 pretty intense. Okay,
3: so here's here's my take on it, which is Wonder Boy. Is, there's a fallacy in Wonder Boy. It's not Wonder Boy that makes him who he is. It's Glenn Close, and it's not the fact that he cheated or started to stray from the path, it's that he lost this, his other half. He is incomplete without Glenn Close. He is not Roy Hobbs without Glenn Close. He is for these brief moments, but then he loses it until she comes back and, he, and then he finds his inner Roy Hobbs again. Um, so it's Glenn Close and she is, she's just part of the, the path that leads him away from Glenn Close. Uh, but he breaks Wonder Boy at the end. And he still hits the home run and sends them into the World Series. It's Glenn Close who pleads him. Now, here's the interesting <laughs> thing. I have not read the book, but he strikes out at the end of the book. He does not make it to the World Series. Wonder Boy cracks. He picks up the other bat, and he strikes out.
1: Is that in the book you said? Really?
3: Yes. yes. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Different trivia. way to go. Different way to go. This this movie is not. I mean the the this movie is quintessential. Exactly what Barbara Hershey says: gods and monsters. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's a really interesting point too. Because now I, my wheels are turning a little bit about what you're bringing up with Glenn Close. Because he keeps reiterating to her that he makes this mistake, right? And honestly, just from my viewpoint, I mean it's it's kind of an innocent mistake. You know, he he meets this woman. She invites him up to the hotel. He doesn't really know what's going on. He, she just shoots him right in the stomach, like. Who's to really say? Like, <laughs> did he really make that big of a mistake? But I think to your point, Joel, maybe it was the fact that he strayed away from the love of his life, and then you get that moment where they're walking, they're walking along, and he's telling her what's happened to him the last sixteen years of his life. Almost this weird confession, or this moment of like healing, of reattaching himself or reacclimating himself with the other half of of his his self, maybe even his better self. And maybe that's why that continues to get kind of highlighted over and over the mistakes of the past over and over again. The lessons, the, what, what did she say? The life lessons that we learn. We live two different lives. The lessons that we yep. learn and then the other, you know, maybe those are those two characters kind of going through in that hospital. That's kind of really interesting. Yep. Um, yep. Dan, I want to ask you, Robert De Niro, real quick, better, better villain in the fan or Barbara Hershey?
2: well i see here's my thing with with uh with harriet Byrd is she has no real connection to the game other than taking people out that's what makes her so terrible right like she just pinpoints people and takes them out for for their ambition for their pride like you could you could actually like if you were to do like a christopher vogler or like a, a like a, a um well, who's the guy that wrote uh, Heroes of a Thousand Faces? Uh, Joseph, Campbell. Joseph if you were, Campbell. If you were to do a, a, like sort of a, a dive on that, she thinks she's the hero, right? She thinks she's, her, her version of her is doing this benevolent thing of taking people out that are too prideful. But when we take a step back from it and we look at it as an audience, she's just, she's taking out the best of the best for, for no other reason than just to take out the best of the best. Who does Max other-
3: Mercy say? Because he says it on the train, who she takes out days before she takes out Roy's house. He She took out an Olympic athlete. And, yeah. and a,
0: f- a football player, I believe. A football player, yeah. 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 So it's like already kind of in the news. And I don't know, I, it, it's definitely something, a mechanism that's used in films, but I really love it when you have such little screen time, but the specter of your character and that action kind of just carries over through every single decision <laughs> and every single scene moving on and forward. And I just kind of forgot, like, I hate her. (laughs) I hate her so much. Uh, I just really just, I I can't stand her. Everything that she stands for. uh, Don't even need to know her backstory. uh, Lock her up, throw away the key. But let's just jump forward real quick. Let's go 16 years into the future now. And right into our sweet spot, boys. He's in his mid-30s. Redford is actually 47 when he plays this role. That's not too old to be a baseball player. (laughs) That's not too old old to be a baseball player. Never too old. So, like, quick round, Robin. We don't have to get into it too hard, but uh, maybe we can start with Joel first and then Paige and then Dan. Uh, You know, you you get the call. You're in a professional baseball movie. You're a major league player. What hurts most and what hurts first? Uh. (laughs) With the body, with the mid-30s body that we're working with right now, the temple
3: shoulders and the obliques shoulders yeah. and the obliques when I haven't thrown in a while I played catch with Alex Guijano like a year ago and I hadn't thrown hard in a while and it was it was this it was it was the the throwing side oblique that is just it's hard to like get up the next day um that and and the shoulder and the shoulder yeah shoulder
0: um, shoulders barking a little bit
3: yeah yeah I mean knees aren't terrible for baseball um, like they are for football and basketball. Cause there's just, there's not so much jumping and sprinting. I guess there is when, when you're running, but like, you know, it's more upper body um, stiffness. Yeah. Paige,
0: what hurts most? What hurts first?
1: I am completely the other way from my friend there. I, I, it's my legs, man, that my legs, <laughs> I, I can't, I can't even kneel anymore. I, my, my knees are so bad. So for me, I, I would, I would have to probably, uh, I, I guess maybe be an, an, an I couldn't be an outfielder. I, I, who, who runs the least? Third base? I don't know. I was going to say, maybe you're a first natural. Base. First, well, first base? Yeah, sure. it's whatever right. position I could just stand there, and then hopefully there's a DH to come in for me, you know? Uh, that's that's all I
3: Who can. runs the least? Mike Piazza. Mike Piazza <laughs> yeah, ran. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. When you hit him yeah. that
1: far,
0: you just stare, baby. You just the hu- The
2: legs, 100%. Carlos Byerga ba- Carlos ran yeah. the least amount of any professional uh, yeah. <laughs> sports player. John <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, Paige, maybe you're a natural third base coach. Uh, yeah, Dan, there it is. Dan, what hurts most? What hurts first? You get the yeah, call. I'm... You're in your 30s. You're a major league baseball player.
2: Listen, I got a, I got a pretty nagging dodgeball injury in the old throwing arm. Uh, so shoulders, shoulders flaring up real quick. And I can't even get up out of my couch without having to stand for 45 seconds before I can start to walk because of my lower back. So yeah, I'm going I... shoulder and lower back.
0: Yeah, I think lower back on the torque and the cage might get me a little bit. Uh, the obliques is a great one because it's one of those uh, sneaky little muscles that I don't think we we use all the time. But then all of a sudden, baseball is always using muscles that you don't use on a day-to-day basis. And then I'm thinking maybe, uh, I'm thinking maybe some tough forearms, I, I big-time forearms in the cage, yep. getting out there. Um, but guys, that's what this movie is all about. It's about we can still do it, guys. And that's what movie magic is all about.
2: It's about angles. That's right, <laughs> Go ahead, Dan. Yeah. I, I just love that we took a 47-year-old Redford and made him, like, be a young buck 20-year-old uh, kid or whatever that's facing, that's facing down Babe <laughs> Ruth, the whammer. And he's,
3: he's, he's arguably older than that actor playing 1,
2: the whammer? 1,000% older than that actor. I mean, not a question in my mind. I got a real quick question about that. Uh, does Roy Hobbs shark the whammer with that errant pitch? in the Ooh. when he's throwing over when he's bowling over those pins a thousand percent yeah you think he sharks him
0: one yeah. thousand yeah one thousand percent there's a part of me that maybe you watch it on first blush and you're like oh he's kind of he's getting too big for the moment a little bit but i think at the same time like he had already been insulting him on the train a couple of times he had knocked what eight nine ten in a row was on a big thing and it was almost it was one of those deals where it's like i don't need to show you how good i am i'm keeping the goods in the closet here and then that's when the whole bet kind of starts to ratchet itself up a little bit. And then that's one of the best, honestly, one of the best Redford moments is when he walks out to that 60 feet, six inches and the way that he tosses the ball and snaps it into his hand. One of those, like, like let's go kind of moments. I think it was so, uh, I don't know. It's just one of those little actor business things that I think was like really powerful and says a lot in his character in that moment. Yeah. Uh, that also, a- oh, Joe, he,
3: he is, he is as good of a hitter as he is. He's a better pitcher. Like, that dude has yeah. shown us he never, ever missed as a pitcher. Pitching is what he did first as a kid. It wasn't hitting. He just can't pitch because there's this silver bullet lodged in his abdomen. Yeah, um, which you know, is crazy. <laughs> and that's the other beautiful thing about the Barbara Hershey character is that it's not, it's not just a gun. It's a gun using silver bullets. Uh-huh. That's so beautiful. Okay. Killing werewolves.
0: Yeah. She's a CSI episode waiting to happen. And real quick, if I might say so myself, uh, Redford in this movie – Um, uh, so I I looked it up online. I guess the swing is patterned off of Ted Williams, which is why he went with the number nine, but I was actually a little bit more impressed with, I know it's in slow-mo, but the throwing motion, pretty decent. I like the follow through. I like the twist of the hips. What you got there, Dan?
2: Uh, just Redford swing. I want, I was, I brought I was going to bring it up in in talking, man, when he's in the cage, that swing is
0: nice. Yeah. Not too shabby. Swing is great. Hop in page.
1: Well, no, I was gonna, I was gonna piggyback on something Dan mentioned just a few minutes ago. Is that 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 they, and if, if you did, if you made that movie today, a you would either cast a younger person <laughs> to play the eighteen-year-old Roy Hobbs, or they would, you know, do the 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 aging, the, the yeah. De- yeah, exactly, and it and it is something that's always stood out to me in this in that movie that he is way too old to be eighteen. And oh, so, gonna, yeah. and so is Glenn Close, night, dude. so we're is Glenn Close. Night. Yeah, and, and it's and they and they both put on this youthful buoyancy, you know, in their, in their performance. And, you know, I mean, I, acting wise, of course, Robert Redford can pull that off. But it, it, it was something that and always Glenn stood Close. out to me. I mean,
2: they didn't
3: right. just get like any, they got Glenn Close to play that role. They got one of the right. greatest actresses ever to play yeah. that role.
0: Who honestly is. Beautiful in this movie. Just yes. a beautiful, yes. beautiful, beautiful woman.
2: Um, the, lighting, the lighting, her wardrobe. I mean, it's angelic. It's It really, truly Perfect. is an angel.
0: Yeah, so this kind of helps me pivot just a little bit. I don't think Glenn Close will probably get into this category. But now, 16 years, we're in New York, and we start meeting all the characters of this film. They all start kind of rolling themselves out there. You got Pop Fisher. You got Red. You got Bump Bailey. You oh, got Ramo Paris. You got Judge. You got Gus. You got Max Mercy comes back out of there. So, you guys, honestly, you know, take your pick. Uh, Dan, you can go first. Take your pick. You know, who is the first character that you saw? I mean, you, know, you could either be your favorite character or the first character that kind of, like, perked your ears up. Because I, when I saw Mike Madsen, I was like, oh, yeah, fuck yeah. Early Mike Madsen. Dude, not sliding because he's ruining his cigars. I'm way into it.
2: This is like, this is like his, the fourth or fifth thing he ever did. He, he had a couple of episodes on uh, St. Elmo's Fire, I think. That was like the biggest thing he had done before this. Uh, and then he gets to come in here and swing the bat with Robert Redford and Wilford Brimley. Like, that's incredible. Uh, I really want to know why Madsen just won't apologize. All he's got to do is apologize. What do you want from me? Madsen? And that scene is, that scene is so <laughs> awful. What do you want from me? Hold huh, an apology? You're not going to get it? Hold huh, an apology? You're not going to get it? You're not going to get it? What do you want from me? An apology? <laughs> he says it nine times. You're going <laughs> to bark all day, little doggy? Nice. Oh, that's just a great uh, but, line. But I, I will say, I think uh, I'm, I'm blessed to have done a few of these, and I'm even more blessed to have Robert Prosky be uh, in, in a couple of these movies. Uh, or Prosky, man, the, the, the judge with no light. Like, he's just, I, that guy's fucking so awesome. I love Robert Prosky. He's, he's the best.
0: And again, real quick, we just did Rudy last week playing a cool priest. I think in the same year, you know, in Mrs. Doubtfire, he plays the, he plays the dude who doesn't have it figured out, and we kind of had mentioned that he's really good at playing um, down to earth rich guys. Yep. Uh, but in this case, this is when he actually takes on the full the full bore of being, you know, being the heavy and being the dude. Uh, yeah, being the dude who who likes it who likes it in the dark, uh, who likes it in the dark, and a little Branch Ricky vibes, just a little touch of a thing, a little bit of a nod to the Branch yeah. Ricky character, um, Joel uh favorite character i think i might know where this is going but i would love to hear your thoughts
3: who is my favorite actor ever robert duvall but wilford brimley steals this movie completely and 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 incidentally they are very very close friends uh wilford brimley and, and uh robert duvall they were in tender mercies together and they've been fast friends since um but I, I, I—you cannot take your eyes off Wilford Brimley. That opening monologue—I should—I I should have been a farmer monologue. I could—I—I I have watched that a hundred times, and I will watch it five hundred more. It—I can't get enough of it. Um, I need well, more Wilford Brimley, just in general. Like I—I—I I, I wish he were in more.
0: Yeah, he was pretty incredible. Like the fact that he's—he's he's going through, and there's what his mama told him, and he could be raising chickens right now while also interjecting like. Should have been a farmer, Red. I hate the pirates. Dan, hop
2: in. When when him and Farnsworth are in the dugout, just doing that name the tune to- that tune bit, I, it it's it's incredible. It's so subtle and so just like easy, and it seems like they were just bored on set one day and started riffing on old thirties like pop tunes. And of course, you know, Brimley and Farnsworth are old enough to probably know this actual tune. So, it were, I, like, I, I have a feeling that it was a real game of name that tune.
0: Well, yeah. what a cool piece of business that, like, life is going good. You know what I mean? That's what you right. do when, when right. life is on easy street. Go ahead, Paige.
1: Well, I, I can't agree more that that uh, Farnsworth and, and Brimley just are just, the, you know, the – the, uh, the, the, the as far as the love of baseball goes, the core of the of the movie in, in that sense. And I, I love them very much. And you guys have done a great job mentioning them. So I'll, I'll move on to somebody else's. Is somebody, a character that, that everybody hates and nobody talks about, because how could he be your favorite? Is the Gus character that Gavin McLeod plays, the Cyclops, you know what I mean? And he's, I guess Gavin McLeod came in in that movie really late and then was not credited because he didn't want to be credited I don't I'm not really sure how that worked but but he is sort of an unsung hero in that movie too of just being that slimy crappy you know underworld boss kind of kind of character that really brings home the the gravitas of like how shitty the the professional world can get and the gambling and all that I think that that that's a character that's often not mentioned just because he does such a great job of being so awful.
0: It's so well written too, where every single line he has in the movie, I think, isn't what it means, if you know what I'm saying like every <laughs> single line that he says means something else it's either yeah. a manipulation or it's a greasing the wheel of some kind or some sort of you know trying to get someone jealous, trying to hit a nerve, hop back in pitch.
1: yeah, and how great is the scene where he, he calls how much money is in redford's pocket and then and, the he, and he yeah, he thinks he wins the bet and then he and then he, and and Redford's like, "But you forgot about this." and pulls the coins out of a uh, out of out of out of Paris's ear, Memo's ear, you know what I mean? I love that. I love that scene.
0: And so all, all these characters I want to hear who your favorite characters were because I want to rope it back around to Redford real quick because Redford is such a classic movie star and his acting style has always kind of been along this and I have an appreciation for it where you know, I don't even know if you could say this for Paul Newman, but you know Redford is expressionless almost almost all the time and I think it's something where it plays really perfectly in this role in particular because you know he is uh, ambiguous in a lot of ways the whole movie you're trying to figure out what happened to him in those 16 years and all the characters in the movie are trying to figure out what he wants and what he wants to do and who he wants to be and everything but um, maybe Dan you could hop in first just talk about Redford's performance in this role and the fact of You know, he isn't the audience because we don't have all the, you know what I mean? Sometimes those guys that are doing a little bit more of a straight performance embody the audience. That isn't the case in this movie.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, as far as Redford's performance goes, I'm with you. He's got that like classic Hollywood movie star vibe to him, just like the rugged good looks and, and the expressionless, except for when he, you know, leans on a doorway and gives you that classic smile, that classic Redford smile. <laughs> um, but yeah, he sort of stands uh, uh, mighty still in an ocean in a is sort of like in a, in a tempest around him. Um, uh, you know, it's not my favorite style of acting. I don't think, I don't think Redford's the greatest actor on the planet uh but for this i mean for this movie it it serves its purpose it's it's well done
0: yeah uh joel i'd love to hear your thoughts on on redford's performance um in this film and the way that the choices that he makes and how it serves the film in general
3: i i mean i think redford is a filmmaker first and foremost an actor after that and i i i listened to a number of interviews with him and i'm more or less sure that is exactly how he sees himself um and would would say so himself so i don't i don't think he's i think he's almost intentionally trying to you know redirect the spotlight onto everybody else and just do what he needs to carry the movie and get the story told which is i mean one of the most selfless things you could do as an actor um and you know there's there's just such an easiness and effortlessness to his acting that I think I don't know that you can really teach that. It's just he um he knows and is who he is and has been a star since he was very young, so I think he kind of has gotten to pick exactly the roles that he fits perfectly into, and um you know, I mean, we should all be so lucky, but, but he does it to perfection. Um, and, and, you know, whenever he plays a role, you never really want, I never want to watch the sting or Butch Cassidy and see anybody else play those roles. I I don't. And it's not, I don't think, I don't look at that and say, Oh, that's Robert Duvall. That's, 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 that is the quintessential pinnacle of acting. But it, but it, is in its own way because it's just you don't want anyone else in that role um he um he's so he's magnetic you can't take your eyes off of him uh he's it's it's really something else and he's and he's just a tremendous filmmaker on top of this this is one of those movies where he you know is working for an barry levinson is you know also one of the greats um so he just got to put on the hat of playing actor
0: Yeah, it's interesting that he has the – Redford has – obviously, he's an incredibly handsome man, but he has that inner confidence, right, to instinctually know, I don't need to flourish in this moment. You know, the hospital scene could have easily become the Oscar clip of him, you know, banging – banging or whatever tearing at the sheets or whatever but him and glenn close are just really you know they're just still just talking to each other and having this this connection page uh just talk real quick about redford's performance
1: well yeah you know i agree with everybody I, it's he is you know he does have that inner confidence and that that and that also that's that every man american vibe to him um i'll just say i piggyback on all that this you know this when this movie came out it's he's been a movie star for 20 years you know and technically he is just you know perfect i mean he knows exactly how to act for the camera so when you know if there's any if there's any like maybe this goes along with him being a filmmaker too he 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 doesn't on your point he doesn't have to act in order to get across what he's doing he just it's just there you know it's just it's just like he doesn't have to make a face or have a you know he's just you could just see it in his eyes and the stillness that he provides in that movie is uh, you know it, it it adds that sort of age and gravitas and that you know, what's happened for 16 years mystery to him. You know what I mean? Yeah. You guys
0: got me really thinking now too, about how smart he is as a performer, because I definitely want to get into, we're going to have a little contest here of I counted 10 legendary moments or things that Roy Hobbs does in this movie. So maybe the <laughs> dude, so maybe the dude is just like, you know, look, you know, the actions, the actions are right there. You know what I mean? Maybe I don't need, to do, uh, don't need to do so much with these scenes. So here we go. Now, if I missed a couple of you guys, please inject a few. But I counted, there are 10 legendary moments that happened to Roy Hobbs here in this movie. And I'm hoping you guys can pick out some of your favorites here. So the first one in order? Just, yeah, we're just going to go in order from the top of the movie. I'm going to read them off and then we'll kind of round back around and you guys can pick your favorites. So the first one is Roy strikes out the whammer on three pitches. The second one is the first time that Roy takes batting practice where, for whatever reason, in overdubs and post-production, they take the sound of his ball coming off the bat and they layer it like 10 or 15 times. So it sounds (laughs) booming and huge and just like, whoa, Let's listen to the crack of that bat. Um, Number three, Roy knocks the cover off the ball. Very, very famous moment, something that's lived on for many years. Number four, Roy almost hits one out of the stadium. That's one of the first time he kind of actually gets – full-on playing time, and he just hits bomb, and that's the thing. Roy hits bombs in this movie. Number five, Roy pitches in practice, so they're rounding up a practice. One of his teammates kind of goads him into throwing a couple of pitches. He does, and he throws some straight heat, and a ball gets stuck in the back of the net just to give a little bit of a taste of what he could have been or what he once was. Number six, Roy hits the clock at Wrigley Field. To be very fair, that is not actually – they didn't actually shoot that at Wrigley Field. They did some post-match situation and post-production with the actual look of it, and then that clock is actually based on some park in Buffalo. But I digress. Number seven, this one happens pretty quick, but still very impressive. Roy hits four home runs in a game. Number eight, Roy hits an RBI double off an intentional walk pitch, which I find incredibly awesome. There are three montages in this movie. One good, one bad, one good. This is in the third one of when the nights get hot again, and he hits a double off of someone trying to throw an intentional walk. Number nine, Roy hits uh, Robert Duvall, Max Mercy's character. Uh, he hits the camera in a secret bullpen session, uh, batting practice session. I think that's amazing, just the control of the bat there. Just, you know, make make your swing into a lethal weapon. Uh, that's, that's skill, I think, that is unmatched. And then ten, Roy's ninth inning three run on blast into the lights to send it to the World Series, the one that we all know and love very much. Joel, one of those pop out in your head, one of them that, that might be your favorite.
3: Knocking the cover off the ball. That's yes. that's that's where the legend is born. That's where he captures first captures the eye of the country and and never looks back. And, um and there's just something so magical with the lightning coming down. That's you know, that's that's his star is born moment. Um and uh and then there's something again going back to these these side characters in this movie, Barry Levinson just finds that everyone's so real. There's a guy, the three pirates coaches that come out, or I think they're playing the pirates, come out. Yes, He's like no, 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 we want to see the real ball. That's not the ball. We want the real ball. They're so. I don't think those guys are actors. I think those guys like are real baseball coaches. Like I'm just like that's that's what it looks like. That's I. I it's it's um that moment for me. And then with the rain coming down, it's it, it's just a perfect movie. Yeah, that's a, a great moment in a perfect movie.
0: That's a great moment, too, because, yeah, they bring in three lifers, and I agree with you. I think those are real baseball guys. And it's those dudes who, like, you know, those type of guys that, have, that don't believe in superstition or magic or anything that are trying wow. to make sense of something that is almost unexplainable. Yeah. And you can count, you know, you can go feet and distance on home runs all day long. He hit a five fifty. He hit a five fifty one all day long. But the force to actually destroy uh, the it's vessel also that you play a- the game.
3: It's also that expression in baseball that everybody has always said. And it's one of those things that has never been done. Like batters have popped the scenes in balls, but a ball has never come apart ever. And every hitter dreams of that. And it's like, we got to finally see it. <laughs> yeah. Paige,
0: uh, out of those 10 legendary moments, which one is your favorite or most memorable?
1: Well, I, you know, I, I, uh, there's God, that's, that's a good, <laughs> that's a good question. But the, you know, the, what I, what I, what I love about the, all of those moments is, whenever the chips are down and whenever everything is looking like, uh, let's go in the other direction. There's always the, uh, the precursor of the lightning storm coming in. You know, it happens with the light, with the ball. It happens with, uh, the, the, the home run at the end is like Zeus has become, is there to, 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 you know, show him the way the electricity in his life is back in action. Um, but I, I did also want to mention I, I the the part where he throws the ball at practice and it gets stuck in the net, I, I really think that that's a great moment because, a it shows like you said what he could have been, but b, from just a storytelling um, angle, it shows you it shows the audience who is asking why isn't he pitching. It shows why it gives you that he can't pitch because it it's it, it hurts him. It literally his his injury has taken the pitching out of his future and out of his career, and so now. Now we know, as an audience, oh my God, he can't. He'll never be able to pitch in a game because every time he, he can still do it, but it's it's way too painful, and it's and it, and it, and I think that that was a really good element to give us. Uh, it gives you that what he could have been, and it also gives you that what he can't do anymore.
0: Yeah, it's really uh, how deep does his mystery go, and then right. it shows that little thing, and you're like, oh, he's still there's still more in there. What else? What else don't I know about Dan? Um, most memorable legendary moment or your favorite of the film?
2: Yeah, uh, well. So I have two different ones. The I think the most legendary moment is that that three run shot or two run shot that he hits in the bottom of the ninth uh, with two outs and, and hits one light bulb and causes every light fixture <laughs> in the entire stadium to short circuit. Not only that, but has so much power that he gets the sparks from. From uh, 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 light, light stands, light, light bulbs that are on the other side of the bleachers to come all the way down to second base. <laughs> fucking power. That is some <laughs> power right there. Um, but I think my favorite moment of his baseball skill set is actually when he sees Glenn close for the first time and uh and comes up out of that that little uh slump that that he was in uh because of the kim basinger tongue roll uh which by the way can we talk about kim basinger's tongue in this like she does what are you talking about the first time we see her she does this twice which nobody can see me that's listening to this uh but she like puts the tongue in the corner of her mouth and then she's got all this crazy like tongue work that she's doing in this movie it's wild
0: She's very tempting. She's very tempting in this film. And uh, it really, it really gets away from her. And I, I, honestly, a character that you sort of kind of feel sorry for in the end. Um, she seems to be more kind of mixed up in the biz than maybe a part of it. She doesn't um,
2: know what she's doing.
0: Yeah, no, she, she doesn't know what she's doing. And then like, unfortunately, she has to go from Mike Madsen to Robert Redford, plus to the pitcher Fowler.
2: Hey, I mean. Just, to Gavin. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, she's all over the place.
0: Uh, My favorite legendary moment is um, a close second is that batting practice. I just think that's a a beautiful, amazing trope that'll happen. Like they use it in the color of money when Tom Cruise snaps one and Paul Newman goes, listen to that break. That's a a sledgehammer. Um, (laughs) And then obviously Kingpin rips that off. But just the fact that the sound that the ball makes off of his bat is just different. Um, from anyone else's, I think that's what's ju- that's what really like kind of stands out for me. That is pretty amazing. But the number one for me, obviously, is the first one. I just love the concept of him out of nowhere at a carnival. You got Babe Ruth, uh, and you've got this whole show. And Babe Ruth's way into it because he thinks that he's just gonna school this amateur dude. And then he comes out, and that first pitch just literally almost breaks uh, the scout's his scout buddy's hand on that first one, and he knows that it's serious. And, the the rising tension of he eventually takes the jacket off and hop in page
1: oh no I was hoping we would get to that moment is it's so great and I I just I I was hoping we could talk about just at some point about Joe Don Baker <laughs> and and what what a I mean he's this legendary I don't give a fuck kind of guy you know the actor himself and then he gets to play the whammer which is just like absolute perfect casting and I I, I just I've always loved how how uh, like he's just drinking the soup bowl of life and he's just such a uh, you know like you know come on throw it in here rum you know and call calling call calling the uh the the uh, the the man, the, the his coach, the a rum pot and a rummy. You know It's just such evil bastards. I love that performance. And I'm really glad you brought that up.
0: Yeah. It's like the scene in the Simpsons uh, with Mark McGuire. Where he's like, who wants to see me suck a few dingers? And the crowd just goes nuts. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? He's like, well, let's just do the thing that I do, baby. And by the end, he's taking the jacket off. He's spitting on his hands. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's just yeah. really actually kind of grinding in and zeroing in by the end. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's probably my favorite legendary scene. Um, got a couple more questions for you guys. But one that I really want to hit, and this one just kind of hit me on this last rewatch here, are the stakes involved in the final scene. Now, in sports movies, typically, you know, you always ratchet up the stakes because you got to win the game, right? You got to win the championship. Stuff's on the line, and you're always going up against the foe or the villain that always trying to, like, knock you down a little bit. But in this particular case, the stakes in this movie are, are insane, and I kind of want to ask you guys, is it, is it too hot, too cold, or the right amount? Is it too much, too little, or just right? So let me just get this straight real quick. The, finals, the, the stakes going into this final game, Roy is going to die. His stomach will explode if he takes too hard of a swing or too hard of a throw. So that's on the line. The next one, Pop could lose 10% or lose the entire shares of owning the team, and he's never won a pennant before. So trying to win one for the Gipper and also help him keep a minority stake in the ownership of the Knights. That's on the line. The next one, Memo tries to get Roy to to run away with her. Now, a little bit of a stake because maybe it's still kind of on his mind a little bit, but she tries to get him to run away because she knows something bad's going to happen to him. The judge offers him $20,000 in insurance, a.k.a. slash blackmail, to not play in the game because he found out about somehow, for some reason, getting shot by a woman in a hotel is the wrong thing to do in the 1930s. I'm not really sure about that, but I digress. Um, Gus also threatens him to not play. Mercy threatens to ruin Roy's career with an article that can go one way or the other way if he doesn't play ball and basically bring up his own past too as well and ruin his career as a role model for young boys. The pitcher Fowler is on the fucking take. He's bribed in the game. So you've already got a crooked player in the game that's happening. Um, Wonder Boy breaks his bat. We've got that one. The Knights down two to nothing in the ninth inning, going to the World Series on the line. And then the other one, out of nowhere, Roy has a son and he's uh-huh. at the game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so just real quick uh, the stakes too much, too little, not enough, or just the right amount. Paige, you're going to go first.
1: Well, I mean, that. that... The stakes are, like you say, the like it's as, as much as they could possibly be, which makes me wonder why in that book that he would strike out in that moment. It just seems so. <laughs> what the hell? That's still baffling. Kind of the pressure was under, and as I remember it, isn't Pop's deal like isn't all or nothing? Isn't it's more than ten percent? Isn't it that if they win that game, he gets the whole shebang. He gets the whole club. I mean, I, I feel like it's the, the the weird contract they signed was like. Well, if uh, if we win it all, I get everything. And if I lose it all, then he gets everything. They had some bizarre, like, clause in the contract. It seems very, very uh, uh, foolhardy, if you ask yeah, me. Yeah,
0: it's a huge, huge all-or-nothing <laughs> scenario. Um.
1: Yeah, I don't know. In, you know, this is – I guess this adds the – Mythological aspect to it that in real life there's no way that stakes could possibly be that high. But then again, we're living in a freaking crazy world right now, and who, anything goes. I mean, yeah, uh, right. Uh, well, you know, who says no to anything nowadays?
0: It's just in contrast. I was thinking about other movies, specifically baseball movies. You know, and you've got you've got A League of Their Own, for example, is really just kind of a game seven between two teams. Sure, you have uh, the sisters kind of going to battle, but that's not necessarily at the forefront until you realize the end of the game. That's kind of a fun little wrinkle or twist of what happens there. Major League, you kind of got the franchise on the line, but these are single things. I just mentioned like nine things at stake uh, in this movie. Joel, hop in. Uh, what Make, your thoughts?
3: I think Major League kind of, with the Rachel Phelps character, kind of borrows from the natural, the, the the ownership of the team on the line.
0: Well, that and the whole, the owner wanting the team to lose for some sort of financial game that... um exactly. Impurifies, impuripi- impurifies the sport that's actually going on at the time. Dan hop in real quick.
2: Yeah, I, I just I what I think the natural does very well is it does give us an incredible amount of stakes for the end, but it sets these stakes up throughout the whole movie so you're not bombarded with them all in like a five minute exposition moment at the end. You get these things set up nicely throughout the film uh, so that they all sort of culminate. We get to that top of the roller coaster and then we get to see if we're going to go down or, or, or what happens with it. But I do want to say uh, one thing that I, I think the natural also did well. Um, the pitcher who's on the take plays this perfectly because he's lights out except for that one little mistake he makes that gives up that two run shot. Otherwise, he plays a lights out baseball game, which is different than some other on the take sports movies that we've seen like eight men out where these fucking clowns are running around like booting the ball and throwing throwing into the out. Yeah, exactly. Juggling shit, throwing it into the outfield. I mean you know, we get it. You're on the take. (laughs) You don't have to kill the lily.
0: That's a fair point too, because they have a conversation mound after he gives up the two run bomb and he goes, I'll start pitching when you start hitting. And let's be fair. Roy does not start hitting. Um, it actually gets worse. So Fowler to throw eight shutout, uh, eight, six innings, shutout innings after that is probably actually a testament to him.
2: And is it, is, is that Fowler saying, uh, Hey Roy, I think you're on the take too.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the, there's a defeatistness to it of like, you know what I mean? Like I'll I'll quit, I'll quit horsing around when
1: you quit horsing around page hop in. Well, there is, I I don't know if you mentioned it. There's one more thing in that there's one more element It's that they, for Roy's final at bat, he has to play against him, his younger self. Do you remember this? that they, they put in another pitcher, and it's the big Nebraska kid, the blonde-haired oh, kid. Oh, that's
0: great. So, so he just, literally
1: has to face off against himself as a kid, you know, and, and he's, got, he's got his own whammer moment now. He's facing off against a young upstart that's, that's there to take him down, you know. Right. And so It's also
0: weird that kid, they, they bring him out mid at bat, too. Mid? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of, yeah. Yeah, which is always yeah, a very strange, yeah. that's a
1: strange move. <laughs> exactly. It's almost just
0: like, like, Joel, here's your stakes. You can die. You have a son. Your <laughs> mentor will be in financial ruin. Your career could be over.
3: <laughs> like, I, just, can, 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 I, can I raise the stakes? I yes, got one man. more. Yeah. One more. Um, and I'm having some technical difficulties, so tell me if I'm spotty here. Uh, if there's a bomb underneath the field bleachers, <laughs> that, that somehow will only go off if, if a certain decibel level isn't reached. That's right. So, like, <laughs> not like, way that that doesn't go off, as if the fans are too quiet. So, Roy, really, like, the only option is to hit a game-winning home run in the bottom of the ninth. Otherwise, it goes off. That's That, I think, it was missing, and that's, that's why I think the stakes were too low. There's, there's a bomb. There's a bomb under your bleachers, <laughs> it's, it's, and it's it's voice activated. Yeah, it's, and it's a race
0: against time. And yep. Jeremy Irons is now outside the stadium. <laughs> and He's trying to get into Fort Knox, and it's really all and he's he's taking
1: the president's daughter hostage. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, And and is was shooting up roids in the parking lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh man, I'm just like thinking of a spinoff movie now, where we bring back all the sports villains, like some sort of pro stars, and like and just roll it out. Like Barbara Hershey obviously is in charge of all of them. Um, (laughs) Robert De Niro can't be. Robert De Niro won't be denied or handled. He's kind of like the rogue that shows up at the end. Uh, I'm really enjoying this. Yeah. Well, and then obviously, uh, I guess maybe one more that I thought of was they're playing the pirates, right? They're playing the pirates again, which is the rival in the film. Something that my wife did not uh, enjoy very much. She's from Pittsburgh, big time Pirates fan. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess they're, they're they're playing like the main rival, you know, in D2. They're playing the, the version of Iceland, I guess, in that particular movie. Final question before we get out of here, you guys. Um, and thank you so much for joining me. Does Roy play in the World Series?
1: It, it seems so like I, they don't even, I mean, they the world series is never even mentioned. And I mean, it is 1939, right? So there would be a world series. It's something that's never talked about. It's never, it's just for in, in that movie. It's just, isn't something that is important somehow. I, 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 I've never thought about this until you mentioned it. I really have never thought about this. So I, I don't, says, I don't he know. He says
0: it's his last game. Yeah, uh, I guess not. Know. They yeah, must man. lose
3: in grand fashion. <laughs>
0: Joel, does does Roy end up playing in, playing in the World Series after he wins the pennant? I
3: think no, because – and I think you can go twice. I, I'm sorry. I think you can go two ways on the ending. I think you can go that that is the fairy tale ending. That was his last at-bat, and then he goes back home with his now family. And, or that he does die. His stomach does explode after that game, and that's – the fantasy in his head of what life could have been.
1: Like that's heaven. Yeah, back yes. to back it's, to it's the place.
3: It's kind happy of like place. a taxi driver. You can go like, is this real or is this a fantasy of what could have been? Um and and I I've never made a decision on that. I don't want to make a decision on that. But I don't think he plays I if 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 he's gonna live another day, there's no way he plays in the World Series. He he sent him there. That's good enough. He saved he saved Pop. That's it.
0: Yeah and part of his uh you know, the, the, the odyssey, the, again, like the hubris, you know what I mean, which is, leads to one suffering and turmoil for him the whole time. He just wanted to be remembered. He wanted to be remembered for something specific. He wanted to be noticed when he walked down the street. And maybe that's what that movie is saying in this moment is that he's having that remembering. Like, no one will forget the
3: night that he punched the lights out and took the Knights of the World Series. And I got a question within the question. And I always think about this, this movie. Would you rather be... A Tim Duncan type Hall of Fame player where it's, you're just consistent. You were never like, you were never the greatest guy in the game year after year after year, but you were like, you were just the model of consistency that sent you the Hall of Fame. Or would you rather have the greatest season in the history of sport? Mm. One that will never be replicated, like Roy Hobbs. What would you rather? Um, I'll start off first while you guys think about it. I
0: gotta be honest with you. You know, so I'm thinking of like someone like, Maybe not Dirk Nowitzki. Dirk Nowitzki didn't have the greatest season, but he won that one title, right? Where Dallas will worship him for all time. And I gotta be honest with you, I would probably go Tim Duncan. Maybe that's just part of my 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 Capricorn pragmatic personality. Of I would always, I would probably go the consistency of excellence over time. Other than maybe you know uh, getting the Icarus that is too close to the sun and actually surviving. Uh, Dan, hop in.
2: Well, uh, so to answer that question i i agree i think i would go the tim duncan route of having that like longevity in 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 the career of your choice and always being the guy that that people look to for the the fundamentals like who's the guy that technically is the most proficient like who's the craftsman Who's the guy that you walk up to and you measure that? That's the fucking bar of, of, of Craftsman. But whose I
0: mustache? Say, whose mustache day in, day out shows
2: right. up? Right. Uh, <laughs> for well for I, I want to I, I answer the question about does Roy Hobbs play in the World Series? And I'm sorry, guys, but history shows us that Roy Hobbs did play in the World Series. He went 0 for 4. He committed two errors in right field. And that's why we don't talk about it in the movie because it kind of put the damper on everything. But yeah, 0 for 4. It was a bad, it was a bad day.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, real quick before we get to page, Yeah. There's a lot of weird fan fiction out there. I was looking up about the natural and there's some shit that's just absolutely crazy where like this one website hypothesizes that Roy Hobbs hit 51 home runs in 71 games. um, And that he hit like 622 in the month of December to help them get like to the pennant. Like it's just like really like weird, like, I don't know, weird, crazy, like Gonzo rookie. If you're playing like uh, like video games, it's on like rookie level, like type number shit. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Paige, um, I, I'd love to hear you. Would you rather be a Tim Duncan or would you rather be, you know, that, that amazing, like one of the greatest seasons ever. And then maybe that's kind of it.
1: Well, there's, you know, there's two, uh, there's two sides of the coin. In my opinion, there's, I mean, obviously that, that one stellar season is very memorable. Uh, but And, you know, as far as, you know, your legacy goes, like he even, they even say like, you know, he's like, they would have said that I was the best that ever lived or whatever, best to ever play the game. And she says, but you already are that. And that's, that's a nice, that's a nice sentiment. But, you know, the, the long, the long career, you get to play the game longer that you love. And also something that hasn't been mentioned that probably isn't in the spirit of the sporting, you know, the love of the sport is you would make a lot more money. Roy Hobbs did not did not walk out of that season. would he make 500 bucks like the whole season. I mean, how, how the, how the hell did he afford that farm he's playing on at the end? Or see just in some other guy's field, you know? Um, you know, he had to sell cars after that, where if you were Tim Duncan, you know, you, you're, you're doing all right. You can, you can kick back and enjoy. You can go to like a convention,
0: sign a couple balls or something like that. Uh, maybe, quick, uh, maybe real quick, uh, Joel, please answer your own question. I'm actually, I'm really interested to know, would you rather, would you rather be the Tim Duncan or would you rather have, you know, that the one, the one moment of
3: greatness? I'm, I'm, I'm on the fence, but I'd have to slightly go the Tim Duncan route, but I do, I do love the all or nothing mentality. I really do.
0: Well, um, yeah. Oh, I mean, take it into the acting to the actor realm. You know what I mean? Like would you rather live kind of in our blood? Yeah. 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 Work for 15 yeah. years or just be known for one. I got an opportunity to interview the dude Dwyer Brown who played John Kinsella in feel the dreams. And he, you know, the father, Kevin Costner's father in the film. And we had this conversation about, you know, he wasn't in, you know, movie after movie after movie this long, consistent. I mean, he had a good career, but, you know, it wasn't this great stardom that happened. But this one film changed so many people's lives. And his role means so much to them. It's this Hall of Fame moment that he actually kind of embraces and enjoys. It was kind of interesting to hear.
1: Like Uh, Like immortality in
0: a way yeah but i think we'd all take the 10-year deal i think we'd all take the 10-year tim duncan deal
2: yeah for for 503 million dollars yeah (laughs) Yeah. yes yeah
0: get the number retired do all the stuff wave the hand out of the dugout throw the first pitch all that good stuff guys i got to get you out of here thank you so much for taking taking the time to be on the pod but just real quick uh final thoughts on the film the natural just real quick uh dan go first
2: Highly recommend uh, watch it with your Iliad and uh, Odyssey tomes next to you.
0: Paige, final thoughts on the natural?
2: Yeah, it's a great movie. It really explores
1: uh, the human, you know, the, the the human existence and the human. Uh, journey and uh as far as baseball movies goes it really gets into the the mysticism of the you know of what we were talking about earlier the superstition uh, highly recommended well acted great characters really wonderful yeah.
0: joel
3: final thoughts favorite quote that sums up the movie you've got a gift roy but you got to develop yourself if you rely on your gift you'll fail
0: oh, that's so good yeah, it's good it's so good <laughs> You guys, thank you so much. This was the nineteen eighty-four film The Natural on the Chicago Sports Movie Podcast series. I'm Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos with our guests today, Dan Sanders, Joyce, Paige Smith, and Joel Johnstone, my friend, very quickly. Me and my wife, we love Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Such a wonderful, excellent, expertly written show, expertly acted show, and just we just can't wait, can't get enough all the time. Um yeah. Congratulations. Thank you so much for being on you guys. And thank you so much to all of you out there listening to the pod. We're coming out with another pod, uh, hopefully the rest of this week or if not early next week until then be kind, be good, be good to each other and have a great day. Thanks a lot.